Thank you. It's, it's a joy to be here. It's an honor to be here. Um, I'm honored that Phil would ask me to, to preach in his place this morning. And a little background, I've been in full-time ministry in various aspects since 2005. And I was trying to get out of full-time ministry since 2005 to 2013 to where I finally like surrendered. And I was like, all right, God, I get it. You want me to be in full-time ministry. And so had various roles, worship leading, youth pastor, associate pastor, and I think it's really great the, the, the season you guys are moving into about establishing steps because my wife and I have this joke every time that we move somewhere, it's like, all right, we're going to set down roots here. This is where God's going to have us. And then I see the nudging over there. You guys have experienced that, I'm sure. So it is like, I remember September of 20, 2021, and I'm on a prayer walk. We're on vacation, and I just... I'm praying and I'm talking to God about life and ministry. And I feel God say, I'm going to move you on from living word. And I was like, what? Where's that coming from? You know, is this just me thinking about stuff? And I felt God bring up this, this property that my dad and uncle inherited 30 years ago, 200 acres out in Western PA. And we've always talked as a family about starting a retreat center, right? And so that pops in my head, and I usually dismiss it, because that vision is too big, and it's too, you know, I'm not talented in building anything. And so I'm walking, and I'm feeling God just put this on my heart, and I was like, well, I'll ask my dad about it. I said, Dad, you know, on his 70th birthday, later in September, I said, hey, what do you think about Heather and I moving out to that property and trying to open up a, a retreat center that focuses on leadership and spiritual development? And my dad said, well, I'll, I'll talk to Uncle Bill about it. The next day, he said, hey, Uncle Bill said it's an answer to prayer. We want to see the property used for ministry. You can have it. And I was like, all right, well. So I was like, all right, God, I don't know anything about, like, how am I going to move out there and just plop open a, a retreat center? So I'm like, you're going to have to show me the next step. Two weeks later, I'm hosting an event off the lobby at Living Word, and this missionary that my wife and I met in Peru in 2009 comes walking up to me. And I see him, and my brain registers that it's Carlos. And I'm like, Carlos, what are you doing here? And he said, I came to see you. And I was like, okay. Like, we have email. We have phones. Like, you're not in Peru. But you're in America, and you're at Living Word. And he said, we have a desperate need for, for leadership development for our young missionaries. And I'd love, I've done some coaching over the years with him, some workshops. And he said, we'd love for you to come do another retreat or workshop and, and some courses. And so we met for coffee later that week. And I told him about this, this shift that I'm feeling in my, in my prayer life with God. And I told him about the, the retreat center, the property. And he goes, BCM has 42 camps and retreat centers all over the world. It's part of our ministry to reach children and strengthen the church. And maybe there could be a fit. So that coffee meeting turned into five more meetings with the president and vice president, and they created a role for me to move into their mission organization to do leadership development for globally over all their ministries. And then they're going to, we're gonna be working together to open up a new international center for leadership and spiritual development out in Western Pennsylvania. So just crazy. It's Crazy awesome. 
I guess I should throw my, the logo up there. So their mission, their whole mission is to reach children and strengthen the church. It started out as Bible club ministry, but they since changed it to Bible-centered ministries because we do more than just reach children now. We do a ton of equipping of Sunday school teachers, camp directors, after-school programs, and things like that. And this, this property that we have, we also want to have a local component to it of having a community center for, for children and a nature center. And there's, there's really not a lot out in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, there's, there's no gyms within 40 minutes of this location, and there's tons of young people. And so we wanna open a, a little gym component. You guys got that going on here with the Lord's Gym. And uh, we wanna have a nature center and just a place for kids to gather after school to give them the gospel and to keep them out of trouble and to mentor and to equip. And so I have, a, I have a prayer letter I send out once a month. It's called The Lowdown, because my last name's Low. So I got to do that cheesy thing where we come up with a prayer letter name. And so if you're savvy with your phones, if you want to you know, click the QR code, or if you just want to get the link, I would love for more people to pray for us and for this church body to be praying for us. So if you want to get our newsletter and updates how you could be praying for us, this is one way to do it. Also at that link, I have the whole entire past year uh, prayer letters loaded on there so you can kind of read through our journey and see what God has been doing over this last year. It's a wild ride. And uh, the season that, that you guys are moving into with teaching through God's word, I'm sure that some of you have experienced these promptings and nudges that God gives you as, he's, as you're creating your plans and God's like, nope, I'm nudging you, I'm directing your steps. And so it's just a beautiful season of life to move into. And I want to encourage all of you, if you are feeling those promptings and nudgings from God, lean into it. Don't ignore it. Uh, don't, don't quench the spirit, but allow him to guide you. All right. Let me ask you a question. Do you live in a world where people struggle with identity, yes or no? Yeah, okay. Do you live in a world where people struggle with purpose, yes or no? Yeah, all right. Do you believe that identity and purpose are important for us to experience the life God wants for us? Yes or no? Yeah, amen. Let's talk about it. We live in a world where contradictory views of life prevail. And we need reliable footing and a foundation to keep us from stumbling as we move through this world, to keep us ready to be doing the things that God has called us to do. And as Christ followers, we get this footing from the word of God. We get this foundation from the work and person of Jesus Christ and the cross. And so in John 10, 10, we have this beautiful verse that Jesus says, I've come to give life and come to give it abundant. The message version says it this way, I have come so they can have real and eternal, more and better life than they ever dreamed of, right? Jesus desires real life. Other versions of this text, abundant, full life. Um, Jesus has this desire to see people come alive with purpose as they find their true identity in Jesus, and so wherever Jesus went, he brought healing, he brought truth, he brought grace. And as followers of Christ, it's our desire as well to help other people encounter Jesus so they can experience his abundant life, his identity for them, his plan and purpose. The problem is our life is so full of counterfeits, 
right? Because we so desperately want a need met, we go to counterfeits to meet that need. And it's tempting to want to follow those views that are contradictory to what God has laid out in his word. It's so easy and natural for many of us to pursue anything and everything that we think will satisfy our needs, our desires. This is one of the areas that Jesus addresses and the writers of the New Testament talk about to teach on identity and purpose, why you were created, your calling, who you are, right? And as you and I mature and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, this area that we're confronted with is identity and purpose as we move through this world. And so we start to get clarity on who we are and what God is calling us to do. And this is not an easy task, especially as the world and our culture's voices are just screaming at us, right, to do the exact opposite of what we see in God's word. And so the focus of of today's message is going to be identity and purpose. I don't have like a witty title or anything. I was trying to come up with something fun. I'm like, no, just identity and purpose, right? So there is a prayer that Augustine prayed, and and he just simply said this, Lord, let me know myself and let me know you. Lord, let me know myself and let me know you. John Calvin picked up on this prayer, and he wrote about it, and he refers to it as double knowledge. And when we think about Christian growth, how do I grow as a Christian? It's more and more of the truth about myself being revealed, who I am, and that I'm broken and in need of a savior. And then I get more revealed truth about who God is. And as I grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, and I grow more in who he created me to be, I start to grow leaps and bounds as a believer. So this morning we're gonna look at what it means to live from a place of true identity and purpose as we press into our calling. So with all that being said, let's pray together and and we'll dive in. Oh Father, it is my prayer this morning that as we look into your word, we would be reminded to come uh, more fully understand what your purpose is for us and who you create us to be, what is our true identity, and that we, we may live from a place of freedom Uh, being made in your image and to experience this real and abundant and eternal life that you desire for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. When you meet somebody for the first time, it's like you're opening up to page 57 or 87, depending on who you are, right? Not because you're old, but just because of the type of book you are. Right? You've got more wisdom to share, right? So whenever we meet someone for the first time, it's like we've opened up to a certain page and all the chapters that led up before that moment, you're meeting that person and that part of their story. Their past failures, their past victories, right? the reasons why they say what they say and the way that they respond differently than you respond is because of they have a different story that shapes who they are. It shapes their responses. How they see themselves, how they make sense of the world around them, how they view others, how they view relationships, how they approach work, and how they view God. We refer to this as someone's worldview. And so a lot of times your past has a way of holding you captive, right? keeping you back. Your history plays a huge role in your perspective, how you see the world, how you see yourself, your identity, and what you feel you were created to do. 
So your past, the good, the bad, the victories, the mistakes, start to define, number one, how you see yourself, and number two, how you understand your purpose. And if you're not careful, you start to wrap your identity around, you start to wrap your purpose around things that are counterfeit, that aren't real, that aren't true, that aren't worthy. All right, we start to develop this worldview and this desire that has the potential to keep you imprisoned, to hold you back, to keep you from experiencing God's plan and best for your life. Probably most of you are familiar with the story of the Lion King, right? Simba ran away from home. He left his home and he started pounding around with Timon and Pumbaa, right? They ended up living this Hakuna Matata lifestyle, which means no worries, right? You guys have, you guys have heard of it. So the, this lifestyle, they claim, is a problem-free philosophy. Yeah, Hakuna Matata, right. So second, uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, verse 3. He says this. He's, I, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Do we see that nowadays? I don't know if we see that nowadays. This leads me to probably one of the most profound principles of calling and purpose. But before I say that, let me just do this little exercise. I did this at the Revive Conference, but it fits in here. Look around this room right now. and Everybody pick an object. Pick an object in the room. could be anything. As soon as you got your object, say, hey. hey. You got an object? All right. Who wants to share what object they pointed at? Anybody? See? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, what's another object? Yeah. Kleenex box. I love it. Yeah. We need those. Any other objects people want to share? The guitar. Right. We could go outside and do the same exercise. We could look at everything. We could point at it. We could identify it. And we could know what its purpose is. We know why that cross is there. We know what the guitar is for. We know why the Kleenex box is there. We live in a world dripping with purpose. All right? You are not an exception. Right? If we live in a world where we can point to everything and know what its purpose is, why do we feel like we're different? Like, I don't know what my purpose is. Why do we walk around not knowing what it is? And so when those feelings start to come up, where I'm not living my true purpose, I'm not living my true identity, we start to feel anxious, angry, frustrated, confused, and what do we do? We want to get rid of those feelings, so we replace it with something else. Either we try to entertain ourselves, so we don't think those thoughts or feel those feelings, or we try to numb out. And so here's the principle of purpose and calling that I, I just think is very profound, is when you don't understand your purpose, you'll distract yourself with pleasure. You know, let that sink in a little bit, right? When you don't fully understand who you are and who God created you to be, and when, those fe- when you know that you're living out of alignment with who you know you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, you, fe- you feel those negative thoughts and emotions, and so you try to numb them. And this is, you know, this is a story of, of you know, I don't think Peter had Timon and Pumbaa in mind when he's writing Second uh, Peter, his letters. And I'm not trying to knock the Lion King. It's one of my favorites. And honestly, I think the Lion King is kind of a parallel story to the prodigal son. You know, if you don't have Labor Day plans, read Luke 15, 
watch The Lion King, and then read Luke 15 again and talk about it as a family. I think you'd have a lot of really good things to, sh- to, to share with each other. Simba didn't end up in a pig pen, but what was he eating? Bugs and grubs, right? And so there's, there's philosophies out there that are competing with God's word and God's plan and purpose for our life. This worldview of hakuna matata, no worries, do what you want, no rules, enjoy pleasure, is definitely not in alignment with God's word. And where did it lead Simba? It led, there's a very profound scene where he's laying on the grass and he's looking up. He's, he's had moments of happiness, but at the end of the day, this picture just captures it perfectly. Discontent. I know Hakuna Matata is not my purpose. I know I, can, I should not be living this life of just carefree, you know, just eating bugs and not having any worries. Well, you're not having any worries, but you also don't have any purpose, right? You're not doing anything with your life. He knows deep down there's this aching desire, this unfulfilled desire, a growing sense of unfulfillment. There's more to life than this. For those of you who've seen the movie, you know that he wasn't fulfilling his purpose. Who was Simba supposed to be? What was his role? The king. Yes, the the title of the movie, right? He's the Lion King. So he had lost himself. He was distracted by pleasure. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I know there's more to this. He had to have somebody else show him the way. Rafiki, right? We're going to talk about him a little later. But there's this powerful scene where then Simba seems a vision of his father. All right, thinking about this in, you know, as this allegory of us with our father. He sees his father, and he says, Simba, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, father, how could I? You have forgotten me, and so you've forgotten who you are. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. (laughs) You must remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Remember. Remember. (laughs) And seeing seeing here now. (laughs) He forgot who his father was. And he forgot who he was supposed to be. How true is that, that we need to remember who our God is? Remember who our father is and remember who we are, who he's called us to be, right? He's the rightful king of the jungle. It's his right, right? It's his inheritance and he's eating bugs from underneath logs. All because he's not living from a place of his true identity and consequently he's not fulfilling his purpose. Hakuna Matata is not why he was put on earth. He was meant to rule. And for him to go back to start living from his true purpose and his true identity would take courage because he's going to have to address some of his past. That's uncomfortable. Pretty hard things about himself from his past. And just like Simba, for us, it's going to take a lot of work for us to confront some of the things in our past. Yes or no? Yeah. In, and our present. Brene Brown, she has this quote about courage that she used in a TED Talk, and I just love this quote. The original definition of courage is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart, 
which takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage. But it's an interesting perspective because it takes, it takes courage to be your true self, right? As we move through this world and we wear different masks in front of different communities that we move in and out of, after you make the decision to live from your true identity, that takes courage, but it takes courage to then grow courage, to be who you're supposed to be. How many of you put on a mask that, that hides your Christianity when you go to work? Do people know that you're a Christ follower? You know, we put on these different masks depending on the communities we're in. And another book by a guy named Brennan Manning, I love his writing, I've read a lot of his books. He passed away several years ago. But he's this author and speaker that really talked about being honest with yourself and offers continual affirmation of God's love and identity for those who are especially broken and hurting. And in this book, Abba's Child, he talks a lot about purpose and identity, and he makes a reference to the imposter. The imposter is this false self that grows out of rejection and fear and abandonment, and it's the image that we make of ourselves to shield us from future hurt, right? I have this image I'm going to portray of myself to protect myself. And you can imagine that the imposter would also be following, following a counterfeit calling. If we're not living in our true identity, you better bet we're not living out our true purpose, right? Those two aren't in alignment. So identity feeds calling. So it's important that we see ourselves as God sees us, as someone who is radically defined as one beloved by God. God's word will always tell us the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. And you know what God says about you? He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are God's works. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are wonderfully made. See a couple, some couples winking at each other and stuff. Yeah. Turn to, your, turn to your other neighbor and say, you are marvelous. You are marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> this needs to be spoken over you, doesn't it? We need these, these truths spoken over us. And as I've talked about, you know, my history of, of being a next-gen pastor, youth pastor, now I'm working in an organization that works to reach children, hopefully my life and work communicate that I care about the next generation and they need these things spoken over them. They need these you are statements spoken over them. You are smart. You are lovable. You are my friend. You are helpful. You are kind. You are loved. Because they hear enough of these other you are statements from the world around them, don't they? I used to be a bus driver for three years. Can you imagine me being a bus driver? So cool. I was like the coolest bus driver. I'd wear like these different hats for different seasons that my mom would knit me. But anyway, I would hear these, <laughs> I would wear these other, I mean, I would hear these other you are statements that kids speak to each other. You are annoying. You are in my way. You're in trouble, you know? And so, I remember coming back from a mission trip where we worked with a camp specializing 
in, in hosting mentally handicapped adults. And it was part of our team's job to lead worship. And they had these songs that they would just love to sing. And a lot of the songs spoke about their true identity and, and who they are in Christ. One song that just grabbed me in such a powerful way, when I came back, I included this song in my rotation of songs that I would sing to my daughter. So whenever we put our daughter to bed, we do a story, a prayer, and a song. Sometimes not all three, but a lot of times it's all three, and bedtime lasts a good bit, but I love it. I love it. So I started working this song back into our rotation of nighttime. It's called Wonderfully Made, and it goes like this. I'll sing it for you. I'm so wonderfully made, and you're so wonderfully made. God has made us in a special way, and you're so wonderfully made. She's singing with me. I can stomp my feet, stomp, stomp, touch my head, touch my belly, touch the street. Because I'm so wonderfully, you're so wonderfully, we're so wonderfully made. Isn't that a great song? Speaking to identity. Now I'm getting applause here. Do you know who wrote that song? The Donut Man. Right? He's so wonderfully made. This guy over here. Right? Here's the truth. The truth is that God made us in his image, right? And he created them male and female. Perfect. He said it was very good. You and I were created to be image bearers, to move through this world as God's representatives, God's ambassadors to be fruitful, to produce, to work, to create culture, to multiply, to make more of, to spread a message of hope, to make disciples who will make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But because of sin and competing counterfeits in the world, we need to be reminded about that purpose, what our purpose really is. In the words of Mufasa, you are so much more than what you have become. Get back in alignment with your true purpose. God is in the business of redemption and reminding us of our true calling and why we're here. You know, I referenced Peter writing in 2 Peter that there's scoffers and counterfeits, all right? That we need to be, be aware of, of people just following their own desires with their life. And then Jesus, when he was here doing his ministry, he's going around waking people up to their true identity and purpose. We have this beautiful scene in John chapter 4 where we have Jesus engaging a woman. This is often known as the woman at the well, right. This is an encounter that Jesus had that just speaks volumes to identity. And this is the longest recorded conversation that we have in scripture with Jesus and somebody else. And so this tells me it's a, a significant encounter to pay attention to and, and what's going on. And it's in John chapter four. I have uh, my Bible here. I'll read some of that. But Jesus was putting himself in a place where most Jewish people would not go. All right, Samaritans were seen as dirty half-breeds. They don't have the same theology we do. And so most people avoided it, but they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And they would often walk around this town to get where they needed to go. But Jesus puts himself in this place, in a very public place, and meets someone there. I'm just going to read verses 6 through 18 of John chapter 4. Jacob's well was there, 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I don't want to be here. I'm trying to avoid people. Give me this water so that I won't be thirsty again so that I can go back and just live away from people that are judging me, that have thoughts about me that are bad, where I don't have to encounter this stuff. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Ouch. Sir, the woman said, let me change the subject and say that I, can, I think you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Let's have a conversation about where we should worship because I don't want to talk about my five husbands and the man that I'm living with right now. Jesus engages with a Samaritan woman in conversation, blew her away, the fact that he would even talk to her. You know, She was expected maybe get the silent treatment with a mean stare or a condescending comment from a typical Jewish man, but he asked her for a drink. She's blown away. How can you ask me for this drink? Here's a woman who's going to this well at an inconvenient time of day, super hot in the middle of the day, and she's trying to avoid people. We read here that this woman had several husbands. The man she's with right now is not her husband. When it comes to romantic relationships, I don't know about you guys, but when I've gone through breakups, I mean, it's tears dripping, ice cream eating, binging time where I'm just heartbroken from having someone break up with me. And when you have a relationship end that you've poured yourself into, does that do something to your identity? Does that crush your, your spirit, your purpose, the trajectory of your life seems to be changing? This woman experienced that times five, all right? It knocks you off course, sends you in a downward spiral where you just don't know who you are and you don't know what your purpose is. This woman who Jesus engaged at the well was hurting and she was aimless in her purpose, crushed in her identity. She's not enjoying life. She's living a life of isolation. She's avoiding people, avoiding conversations, avoiding the brokenness and painful areas of her own heart, hiding herself from the world, a slave to fear and a slave to her past. We don't know why she'd been married several times. We don't know why the relationships failed. But regardless, it hurts. 
It does something to your identity and purpose. So Jesus starts speaking to her about living water, and she takes that pretty literally. She's like, I need this living water so that I'll never be thirsty again so I can get here, so I stop coming here. But Jesus is speaking of this well of eternal life, real and eternal, more and better life. And then Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah, that he is the one they've been waiting for, the Savior. Do you know what Jesus is communicating to this woman? You're so wonderfully made. You're so wonderfully made. I'm the creator of the universe. I made you, and you're so wonderfully made. I can't stop my... No, he didn't do that. (laughs) He was extending an invitation to her to be restored to her true identity, to be welled up with living water, new energy, new life, eternal life. In him, we start to live and move and have our being. And you know what this woman did? Verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And she started an evangelism tour throughout her town. She came alive with purpose. I've got to tell people about Jesus. And so I want to share with you the voice translation of what we see happening. It says, meanwhile, because one woman shared with her neighbors how Jesus exposed her past and present, the village of Sychar was transformed. Many Samaritans heard the message and believed. They began their faith journey because of the testimony of the woman beside the well. She became the first evangelist in the New Testament. You can check me on this. I think I've looked into scriptures, but I think she's the first person who encountered Jesus and then went right away and started telling an entire village about, about him. So here's this woman who was living as a slave to fear, hiding herself, avoiding people, avoiding her purpose, living in shame and brokenness, and then running into a village shouting, come out and meet Jesus. And the whole town of Sychar was transformed. Beautiful. This woman found her calling because she met the Messiah. She found true identity and she found real purpose. God created us in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous. Jesus came to bring life, to restore, to reconcile to start living from a place of our true identity and our true purpose. So where does that leave us now? Jesus isn't walking around Shrewsbury, hanging out at wells, right? And we're, we're, we don't have wells today. So what's his plan? What's the plan that Jesus gave us? His plan is the church, right? You and I, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. Part of what it means to be the church is that we should know where the modern day wells are that people are hanging out, where we can deliver a message, we can engage conversation, right? We can talk about our past, we can engage in people with our testimony and how we met Jesus. The other part about being the church is that we gather regularly for worship and encouragement, to be a community, to be able to exist in the presence of one another because all of us in here have come in here shattered. All of us in here are broken 
And sometimes we get in this mindset of like, well, my brokenness is a little better than your brokenness, isn't it? And, and so the way that I've been broken isn't the way you've been broken. But as we engage in community, we discover with great humility who we are and our needs. And we engage the word of God with the spirit of God and the people of God. We start to realize that we can live from a place of who we really are. And then we become on mission together. We have a collective purpose together right, to make disciples who make disciples. Now, going back to the Lion King, Simba didn't experience all this on his own, right? He needed a mentor. He needed a guide. He needed Rafiki, right? He needed a silly baboon, technically a mandrill, named Rafiki to help him discover who he is. He has Simba follow him. He says, you follow Rafiki. He knows the way, right? And he says this way, and he points to a pond, and Simba looks down at his reflection, and he's a little disappointed because he doesn't see his father. But Rafiki touches the water. Does anyone know what he says? Look harder, is what he says. Look harder. So then Simba starts moving toward this revelation about himself. You and I, we're Rafiki, we're the church. You don't have to keep being defined by your past. We are the people, we're often the silly baboon who's, who's, who's engaging people where they are and engaging in their life, who they're created to be, and we're pointing at Scripture and we're saying, look harder at your life. Look harder at the Word of God and your purpose in the world. Look harder at who you really are, your identity. All right, you don't have to be a slave to fear or your past. Your past mistakes do not define you. I'll just leave you with a few more encouragements. Some more you are, you know. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that you should be called a child of God. And that is what we are. A child of God. Going back to that Brendan Manning book, he has this quote in there. Unless we reclaim our child, being a child of God, we will have no inner sense of self and gradually that imposter life, that imposter identity that follows an imposter counterfeit purpose becomes who we really think we are. Listen, we have a father that gives us some pretty incredible you are statements. And that's what we need to become, who we need to become. And as we become this true identity found in Christ, then we get on mission, our true purpose and I'll leave you with one, my, probably my anchor verse for my whole life. Ephesians 2.10. You are, you are God's masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. A masterpiece, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, right? To do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. That is who you are. That is our mission Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is real and eternal and abundant life, and he has revealed to you your true identity, and he invites you to partner with him to fulfill his purposes in this world. Amen? Father, thank you so much for the truth that we have about who you are and the truth that you give us about ourselves. We thank you so much for this rich truth Pray that that would cause us to worship, 
cause us to sing, cause us to get on mission, to invite others, to go to those modern day wells and engage people who are broken and remind them that you are a great redeemer, you have eternal uh, living water, living uh, eternal life, and that you have a new path, a new purpose for us as you provide our true identity. We thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.